to read <coughs> the whole of Philemon today. It's not that long. <coughs> Paul, a minister of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, <clears throat> yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you my, for my son Anissimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated for you separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good no longer as a slave but better than a slave as a dear brother he is very dear to me but even dearer to you both as a man and as a brother in the lord so if you consider me a partner welcome him as you would welcome me if he has done any if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything charge it to me I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Um, so I invite Oz up, and we'll pray for yours. <clears throat> Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you that we are together, gathered in your name, and that your spirit is with us. We thank you for this opportunity to hear from your word. And we pray now for Oz. Thank you for everything he's prepared. Lord, we bring this before you and ask that you would take and use it to bless him and us. In your name, amen. Um, so we're starting a new series for four weeks, Little Letters, Big Truths. We've just heard Philemon read to us. That's the whole book. Um, and the next few weeks, we're going to hear 2 John, 3 John, and Jude as well. But as we think about this book, 
I uh, thought it'd be a good idea to think about this word in the heart of it, uh, useless. And I walked around my house thinking, what have I got in my home that is useless? This would be a helpful way to open up this theme and to understand a bit more. And a bit like me, I'm sure you guys have got things in your house that are pretty useless and are frustrating. So I just brought a few and I thought I'd show you. Um, One of them is Lois's water bottle, which wobbles. I don't think it's designed to wobble. Not only does it wobble, when you fill it with water, which I think is what you're meant to do with a water bottle, it leaks and it gets knocked very easily. So that's pretty useless. That needs to go in the bin, but I'm not allowed to throw it away, apparently. (laughs) Another item um, I brought back from Zambia when I visited last, about eight years ago. It's a really nicely carved lion. Um, with two nails in it. Anyone guess what that might uh, meant to do? What's what's this one meant to do? Josh? It's a bottle opener. Well, I got quite excited about using my bottle opener to find that it failed miserably. The screws started to come out. I guess I could put some super glue in and put them back in, but yeah, pretty useless. But it looks nice on my my shelf, so I kept it. Um, An earring, not my earring, uh, but an earring by itself. It's a bit useless, isn't it? Because the other one got lost. So now my dear wife has one earring that she can't quite throw away, but is useless. Who wears just one earring like that? I don't... Okay, Ollie does. (laughs) Now, coming to my main visual aid um, that about five minutes ago was one item. Cheers, Wes. This is is going to go really well. I think this device goes like this, and then you stick this phone holder, which wasn't snapped off, here, and you you swivel it around, and you, you know, lazily watch Netflix on your phone or something. I mean, come on. Really? This is what engineers have come up with? And it it snaps when it's twisted? It's definitely useless now because it's broken. Thanks, Wes. And even before it was broken, it was useless, and has sat in Lois's room since Christmas doing nothing other than collecting dust. So some useless items, but when we repurpose things, they find a new use, don't they? So, for example, this wonderful Canterbury pottery mug was a mug that was very lovely until the handle snapped off. And there's only so many times that you can re-superglue a handle bearing hot water in the mug and get away with it. But now, it's found a new use as a plant pot, which is quite nice. I'll leave that one there for you. And actually, we find that throughout our homes and in our situations, things can move from being useless and frustrating to hopefully useful and beneficial. And this word is at the heart of this letter because it's what the name Onesimus means, not useless, but useful. And Paul, quite strikingly, uses that word in one of the verses that Richard read to say he was a useless slave, but he has now become useful, not only to me, but to you as well. So I want to explore what that means, because it's not nice to be called useless. I don't think Anisimus particularly liked that fact, but maybe admitted that he was a bit of a useless slave to Philemon who Paul is writing this letter to. So we're going to think about what that means and how that transformation happens and how it applies to us. And I'm not talking about us being useful because we're like 
um, in terms of a commodity or some sort of productivity. But through the lens that Paul writes this letter, which is of spiritual refreshment. And I want to suggest that there's a big truth in this little letter that says you're not only useful, but you can be spiritually refreshing. And what if our church community was one where we didn't just fill welcome teams and pack-down teams and tasks, but we were spiritually refreshing to one another? And I think that's where Paul and his emphasis is. Because what we discover in this little letter is that an individual goes from being useless to useful, from being a slave to being free, from being a fugitive to being a part of the family of God, from being lost to being found. And that's maybe a story we can begin to relate to, because maybe we in our own situations have gone from one place to another. And this letter will help us see how through the power of God and his gospel, we too can move from one place to another or find ourselves not only as useful, but as people, hopefully, that are spiritually refreshing to one another. So where do we get that? How do we find it? Well, let's start with the book itself, this short letter written by Paul. Paul's in prison and is writing to this individual called Philemon. Paul and Timothy uh, write this letter to him. It's one of the shortest surviving letters that we have of Paul. And in the Greek era of letter writing, this was quite a long one. But for us, it's a lot shorter than something like Romans or Corinthians, which go on for loads of chapters. It's just one chapter. And it's a letter that's written to Philemon, a friend, a convert to Christ that Paul had a role in um, in the past. Now, Paul did lots of missionary journeys. One of those was to a place called Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. And from that Uh, church or outreach effort in Ephesus, it's likely that many people from the surrounding area came to here and then went back to their rural settings. And Colossae was a place that was rural uh, beyond the, the, the area of Ephesus. And it's likely that Philemon from Colossae went to Ephesus, heard a sermon by Paul, became a Christian and went back and planted a church in Colossae. And so Philemon's this individual that Paul loves. He's come to faith, he's writing to him, he's encouraging him, and he's saying, um, I'm writing to you specifically, but actually also to the whole church, because at the start of the book and at the end, the you is plural. It's the whole church. So this is a letter to be read by the whole church that Philemon leads. And it seems like uh, people think that Ephiah was possibly his wife and Archippus was maybe his son. So you've got this family unit that are involved in leading this church uh, that is a church that Paul recognizes as being a great example of what a church should be and is. And we see that in the opening verses from verse 4 to 7. Paul's prayer is full of thanksgiving for Philemon. Uh, he's, he's recognizing the love that Philemon has for the holy saints, for the church. His faith, Paul acknowledges. It gives Paul deep joy and encouragement that a convert who's a leader of the church loves his people and has a faith that is making a difference. He he prays and he thanks God for this effective partnership. This is really uplifting language. If you were to receive this letter 
by verse 7, you'd be thinking, oh, I love Paul. He's such an encouragement. He's such a great role model. Have you got someone like that in your life that when you think of encouragers in your life, someone that just backs you up, that pats you on the shoulder, that goes, this is an encouragement. I remember whilst I was at All Nations um, studying theology, that there was one tutor that everyone wanted. Because basically, whenever you met him for a tutor time, which was, was normally over a meal because he's super busy, but you'd get to have a meal with this particular tutor, you would just leave feeling so encouraged and affirmed. You wouldn't leave thinking, oh, I've got to sort out my Greek. I've got to get my theology straight. Oh, there's gaps in my knowledge, and I, I need to you know, be a better Christian. You left feeling spiritually encouraged, built up and ready to take on the, the next assignment with a bit of, bit of confidence. Do you know people like that? Well, I think for Philemon, Paul was like that. He was an encourager, and he spoke these words of love and of faith and of refreshment to Philemon in these opening verses. And then you get to verse 8 through to 21, and that's the heart of the letter. This is why Paul is writing to Philemon and this church. Now, What's really interesting is in this letter, Paul doesn't say, I'm an apostle. He says, I write to you as an old man, as a prisoner, basically. I'm writing to you from a place of captivity. I'm in prison, and I am a prisoner of Christ more than of the Roman Empire. And I'm going to love you through this letter. And the basis of this letter is from a place of love, not correction. Not an apostolic authority that I'm using to tell you to do something, Philemon, but a place of brotherly love. That's the place that Paul is writing from. You see, unfortunately, leaders abuse their position, don't they? They, they get things wrong. They can be controlling, and power-hungry, and egotistical, and abusive. And we hear all sorts of bad examples of leadership. Maybe you've seen one in your workplace or you've heard of one, even in churches and contexts like that. But here, we see Paul putting down his authority as apostle, and from a basis of love, speaking a message to Philemon. So what is this message? Well, quite simply, it's that he would receive Onesimus back to him warmly, that he'd welcome him. So the question is, who is this guy? Who is this Onesimus with this strange name that you read and go, what bit am I meant to emphasize and how do I say that? Okay. He was a slave. He was Philemon's slave, a household servant, and is described as useless. Now, it's kind of the opposite of what a slave's meant to be. A slave's a servant is meant to be useful, It's meant to be someone that contributes to your household and helps things to run, whether that's the cleaning, the kind of care of the animals, whether that's the organizing of the affairs of the household, whatever it may have been in this era. But it seems to be the case that this particular slave was useless and he ran away, probably having stolen from his master Philemon. In verse 18, It says, if he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. So Paul's saying, I'll I'll cover the losses that you've suffered. So it may well have been that Onesimus was a a slave that was pretty useless, didn't do his job well, and he stole from Philemon and then fled. And somehow, Paul comes across him. 
Paul encounters him, maybe in prison. Maybe he had a, a short prison spell. Who knows? But Paul reaches out to him with the gospel. He comes to faith. And then Paul, what does he do? He doesn't just see him converted. He seeks to disciple him. And he challenges Onesimus and says, you need to return to your master, Philemon. You need to return to him and, and be reconciled. And so he's writing this letter to Philemon to say, will you receive that useless servant back? Will you forgive him? Will you be reconciled to him? Because I believe that he will be useful to not only me, in the future maybe, on a future missionary journey, but useful to you, even though he has failed and wronged you. So before I go into that heart of the letter and maybe what that means for us as a big truth today, New Testament slavery um, is different to maybe the kind of slavery we might first imagine. It's not the kind of slavery of the 17th to the 19th century where we're aware of the evils of the slave trade. It was actually a third of the population in Ephesus would have been slaves, bond servants, um, committed to a household to achieve a task. And there were good masters that treated their slaves with respect and care, that gave them some rights. Yeah, the rights were limited and their prospects weren't, um, you know, fully free. They weren't free men and women. But... They're also sadly bad masters who exploited their slaves, who abused them physically or sexually. They were bad slaves who tortured even to the point of death at very trivial offences. So slavery in this, this era was not pleasant. But there were some masters that actually were good. And Christians were encouraged, if they were masters, to treat their slaves well with respect, knowing that they were under the master that is God, not just with respect, but with kindness and godliness and being fair to care for their household, including the slave, the bond servant, rightly. And actually, many would be paid uh, a salary. Some would have the opportunity to pay their way out of slavery and be free men and women. So there were some prospects that are quite different to the slavery that we might first imagine. And yet it was, it was harder than just a simple employer-employee relationship. This is not just a working environment. There was a different layer at work. And so we have here Onesimus, a slave who's stolen from his master, who's fled, who's then converted to Jesus and then return, is encouraged to return to Philemon and to reconcile. And the heart of the letter in verse 16 captures this. It says, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul is saying to Philemon, don't see Onesimus now through the lens of his role as a slave, a failed, useless slave. See him through the lens of Christ, a brother in Christ. Not only that, but useful to you because he's been transformed, he's changed. And therefore you should receive him, forgive him, reconcile and warmly receive him. Give him a royal welcome as you would receive me. And this is the appeal out of love that Paul gives. He's more useful than he could imagine. 
So what are the big truths that come out of this for us today and for Philemon as well? We, we don't have slaves. Um, maybe we're a boss or a line manager and we're responsible for others. So we're aware of our role and responsibility to care, rightly, for those uh, that we have authority over. Maybe we're not in prison, but maybe we're able to encourage someone to reconcile with someone else. Maybe like Onesimus, we need to seek forgiveness from someone and be reconciled to them because of wrong that we have committed. That is the call, the truth in this passage. And I said, I referred earlier to uh, Justin Welby in in being uh, the heart of his message, being love in action is service. And I got quite excited because I wrote this sermon before he preached his. I don't know when he wrote it. He probably had it checked by loads of people, you know. Um, I haven't. Uh, But... But I, one of my main truths was love in action is, and I was like, oh, is he going to say the same thing? God's really hamming home this message. Well, my main point isn't love in action is service. Mine is love in action is forgiveness and reconciliation. And that's what we see Paul encouraging Philemon to practice as a mature believer. And what we see Onesimus having to grasp hold of. See, love is a big infused throughout this whole letter. It's expressed by Philemon to his church, the holy saints, in verse 5. Love is experienced as joy by Paul through Philemon, exercising that love, in verse 7. It's the basis of his appeal in verse 9. In verse 12 and 16, we see how Paul has grown a deep love for Onesimus. He's... He wants to give his very heart back to Philemon in giving Onesimus away. Love is at the heart of this letter. And love has to be at the heart of any desire to forgive and reconcile with someone that we have wronged. It wouldn't have been easy for Philemon. He lost money. He was basically ignored as a master. He was right to feel aggrieved and angry, righteously so, against someone that had exploited him and stolen and fled. And yet, the gospel says, forgive. It says, love, even if you've been wrong. Love your enemy. That's what the gospel message is. So what does it look like and how did he practice it? Well, he went from being a slave to being free rightly or wrongly, but Paul here isn't saying, Philemon, receive him back and make sure he's a slave, but now a useful one. He said, receive him as a dear brother. He's of even greater benefit to you than you think. Because Paul was not only close to Philemon, he became close to Onesimus. And because of the fellowship that he had in Christ, he therefore longed for Philemon and Onesimus to be close together. See, Paul really was acting as a a peacemaker, a mediator. And instead of seeing the church fragmented, he wanted to see it built up in unity through this reconciliation. So how do we practice that? What does that look like for us? And so I want to think a little bit about forgiveness and about reconciliation. And maybe you're here today and you're finding it hard to forgive someone something that they've said to you. Or done to you. And I just want to acknowledge that that is a real feeling that we all have. It's hard to forgive people. 
And yet, the New Testament and Jesus very clearly says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And I think there are two aspects to forgiveness, and sometimes we major on one rather than on the other. We need to hold both together, and I think we see them modelled here in this letter. There's an inward forgiveness and an outward forgiveness. The inward forgiveness is being ready with an attitude of forgiveness to forgive somebody. So just um, as an example, in Mark chapter 11, verse 25 This is what we find Jesus saying. When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. That's not not do it next week. If you're praying, do it now. In your heart, forgive that person. So it's an attitude of forgiveness. If you realize you haven't forgiven someone, do it right now. It takes humility. It's not easy. You can feel hurt. It's not necessarily fair what's happened to you. In fact, you may well have been really wronged and and abused. And yet in our heart, we are called by Jesus to reach a place where we are ready to forgive, an attitude of forgiveness. But as well as that, there is an outward forgiveness that we need to do, which is an action of forgiving. So we, we have an attitude, but we also have an action of forgiveness, which is often called reconcili- reconciliation, reconciling with someone. And in Luke chapter 17, we get a different um, explanation from Jesus around this theme. And in verse 3 to 4, we read, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. So in the previous verse that I read, it said, if you hold sin against someone that sinned against you, forgive them immediately in your heart. Here, we're saying, well, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. So we can't fully forgive until someone has repented and said, I'm sorry, I've done this wrong against you. I need your forgiveness. Rebuke them, and then if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Now, none of us find it easy to rebuke people, do we? <laughs> to approach someone and challenge them. The word means confront. It means have a, have a conversation. It doesn't mean we can do it with anger and steam coming out of our ears. It means we do it, we speak the truth in love, with a gentleness, with a humility. But it does mean we address the issue and how we've been wrong. So, so this is about justice. We must deal with wrong. We can't just forgive and forget, as the phrase goes. To forgive and forget basically means we stay at the place of forgiving someone in our heart, but not reaching the place where we've reconciled. And that's actually hard to to remain in that place. And sometimes we can't move from that place. Sometimes that's, that's where we stay. But the emphasis in Jesus' teaching and in this letter is don't stay there unless you really have to. Really do all you can to move to the point of reconciling with people. And that looks like speaking with them, saying, actually, I feel wronged. And if the person repents, then we forgive them, and we're reconciled. The relationship is restored. So this isn't blaming. This isn't um, minimizing or excusing sin. This is dealing uh, with sin when we've been wronged, forgiving as God has forgiven us, reconciling because the gospel is a ministry of reconciliation. 
restoring peace. As we have peace with God, we can have peace with one another. Um, just as an example, I had a friend um, in a previous church. I, I thought I could use an example in this church, but I thought that might be a bit close to, you know, some of you that maybe I've had to reconcile with. I didn't really want to start name dropping. It's not very helpful. Um, but we all have people that maybe we've upset and we've had to say sorry to and reconcile with. And an individual in a previous church, I remember, so I basically tend more towards the forgive and forget than the confront, okay? That's where I go. Some of you might be quicker to confront because you want to make sure that that person knows that they've upset you. And and, uh, maybe there's another area that you need to grow in. Um, We all have our different areas that God challenges us to grow in. And this individual was quicker to confront. And I was like, oh, great, I've got that awkward conversation now. And it's about how we were leading a mission team, actually, to South Africa. Uh, so at the moment, I'm leading a mission team to Zambia, and so the people on my t- team with me, hopefully I don't you know, mess this up as much as I did last time. Um, and I, I basically had kept him out of the loop of, of some of the plans uh, on the leading. And I was like, oh, it's okay. Look, it's organized now. We're going to be fine. And I just wanted him to move on and not make an issue of it. He wanted the conversation. He wanted to say, look, I was actually, you overlooked me. You gave me a job and you didn't let me do it. And so he confronted me. He rebuked me, actually quite graciously. And we reconciled. I said, I'm really sorry. And he forgave me. And we were able to work together effectively and move forward in a reconciled way. How is God calling you to either exercise an attitude of forgiveness or even an ability to act and reconcile with somebody. It's hard, but we can't just have an inner healing without also a justice. We need both. And the goal of reconciliation, and it was this goal for Paul, was for Onesimus to be restored in his relationship to Philemon and that to be a blessing to the community. So this isn't just about ones and twos in a church. This is about the impact on the body of Christ. So we are reconciled to one another, and that leads to the second truth. So love love in action is forgiveness and reconciliation, but it's also spiritually refreshing. You see, you're not only useful to God, you can be spiritually refreshing to other people in the church community. And at the start of this letter in verse 7, Paul talks about how his heart is refreshed through the loving action that Philemon is demonstrating. And then in verse 21, right towards the end, he refers to how he longs to be spiritually refreshed through the obedience of Philemon in welcoming Onesimus back into community. His great goal is to feel spiritually refreshed. Who wants to not be spiritually refreshed? Well, the way to that is forgiving and reconciling and being useful in the body of Christ. And and Onesimus can be hugely useful, not as a commodity and a productivity and as a slave that does his job, but as a dear brother in Christ. This word refreshed, is the word um, in in military speak, really. It's the word that's used when an army is marching and needs to stop to be refreshed in order to get the whole way to the front line of battle. If an army isn't refreshed, it's going to fail on the front line of the battle. 
if you and I are not spiritually refreshing one another, how on earth can we be an effective witness in our world? How can we be good employees or employers? How can we be loving brothers and sisters in Christ in our family if we are not being spiritually refreshed? Life is a battle. It can feel like that at times. And Paul's encouragement in this letter is to aim at spiritual refreshment. All disciples are useful. Maybe you're sat here thinking, I don't feel very useful to God. In fact, I feel pretty useless. I've failed. I'm not good at reconciling with people. I'm not very active in church. I feel pretty useless. Or maybe you feel unused, underused, Sometimes useful, but it depends how your week's gone. Maybe you feel overlooked, burnt out, and overused. Oz just keeps asking me to do stuff. Maybe you feel like that. Our desire as a community must be not to have lots of useful members in the church, but to be spiritually refreshing to one another, whether that's through prayer or pack down, through welcome or worship. The story of this letter is how we were slaves and how we are made free. How we move from being useless to useful by God's power and grace at work in our lives. God doesn't want you just to be useful, but to be encouraging. He wants you to be not only useful, but fruitful. Not only useful, but to know you are loved as a brother and sister in Christ in his community. To be a spiritual, refreshing oasis for somebody else on a Sunday morning, on a life group night, in the middle of the week, in whatever way is possible. Lord God, I pray that we as a church community would be quick to forgive, would be quick to reconcile by your grace. Help us, Lord God. I pray that we'd be a community that focus on being spiritually refreshing to one another, that we would see that as the most useful thing possible for your glory and by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.